0: What a Woman. Conversations with powerful women who share powerful stories. This podcast was created by me, your host, Caroline Lyons, and my friend and producer, Sarah Benner, two mums searching for inspiration. And we hope you'll be inspired too. We're thrilled. This series of the podcast is sponsored by Serenity Spa, a luxurious hidden gem you will find located inside the Rose Hotel Trilly. Welcome to the podcast, Patricia. Thanks so much for for joining us. Um, So you are um, a consultant palliative uh, care physician, and you've been working in palliative care for I think over 20 years now in Kerry. And I think in part because of your leadership, we have the one of the best um, palliative care uh, integrated services, I should say, in the in in the country. So, congratulations really on what you've you've achieved. You and the team have achieved with that. Um, and I think also, probably more importantly, is how you've touched the lives really of hundreds of people in in the county and beyond with with the care you've provided. Um, I know that I've I've heard you described as as a hero on earth really with with the work that you do and I think this extraordinary capacity to provide this care and compassion at what is such a tough time in people's lives and I know Sarah has first-hand experience of this so we're lucky to have you in the county and we're very lucky to be sat with you today. I know you probably hate that bit because you don't want the praise, but it has to be done. (laughs) Um, But I suppose, you know, this sort of care, palliative care, isn't necessarily for everyone. And I just wondered how how come it's been for you and it's been your specialism in in your career. I would come from um,
1: quite a medical family. And my granny was lucky enough to be able to be cared for at home and die at home due to the fact that she had her... All her daughters and sons were nearly her own multidisciplinary team between physios, nurses, pharmacists, etc. So I sort of felt, um, you know, everyone should be entitled to what my my granny got, um, and that was the bit that made me interested in it. But as an aside, I'm into horse racing, and I thought okay. it'd be nice to be a doctor on racecourses. So
2: yeah, sounds like <laughs> fun, Yeah, I yeah.
1: thought that that so. I felt there was no actual training course in Ireland um, for palliative medicine at this stage. Um, So I thought if I did GP, it gave me both options. And so at the end of the GP training, I went to London to work in palliative medicine. And I I seemed to like it. Um, And I worked in St. Joseph's Hospice in London, which would have been um, very much community hospice. And we were part of the hospitals as well. Mm. Um, And it just sort of built from there, really,
0: yeah. Um. And I suppose, I mean, you know, d- d- death and end of life is a, it's a difficult subject for everybody, and probably is, you know, in, as a country, it's something that has been a taboo subject. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you feel that that's changed in your years of working in it, but do do you feel this is still a, a bit of a taboo, and do we need to try to, to, you know, talk talk more about it because we, you know, even though we are living longer, we you know, we need to be prepared because if things happen out of the blue and we haven't sort of been clear about what choices we might want, this can cause issues, you know, if something should happen... I, I think as a um, I think um, we've improved in Ireland.
1: I still think it's a taboo. I think the difference even from working in London and mm. working at Belfast and here, how we talk about it is completely different. Mm. Um, there was a colleague of mine from Australia and he thought we were the gassest culture ever. We talked about he said the passing on um, or you know it was things were things were bad, <laughs> and, you know you were seriously ill mm. and we did you know they have passed or but we never actually said the word death or you are dying Um, and I think you actually have to say it because I think people you know um, the other words people still think there's hope or they don't you know they don't come to terms I think you actually have to use the words he did say though my Australian colleague he gave us credit as a country that when somebody died we could celebrate the life and our rituals for supporting the family in bereavement were better than what they had in Australia.
2: Do you ever feel it's a very difficult medicine to be in palliative care, like you must have seen some really tough cases throughout the years. And is it hard to go home? You have a family? Like, yeah. um,
1: I, think, um, I think I'm very, very lucky we're in, in Kerry because I think a lot of us started together. Um, and we have a very good, um, as a team, I think there's a lot of safety in it and psychological safety. And we can trust one another and support one another. Mm-hmm. And years ago, we felt, you know, we learned that maybe going out and having a night out wasn't going to help us. So what we actually have, um, we'd be very good um, with resilience and we'd be very active, whether we might go swimming together or we might do hill walking or uh, mountain walking, but that we're a- actually able to support one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were aware that you know any you know somebody who's unwell is going to strike a different one of us in different ways mm-hmm. and we know how to watch for one another and mind one another yeah. and i think that's the importance of having a safe um good team
2: yeah yeah you can definitely see that when you're over there anyway i found the there's a nice atmosphere even though it's sad obviously because it's palliative care but you can see there's the staff are they couldn't do anything. they're They're just so decent and so... everybody's so nice, from the cleaners to the nurses to the doctors. There is a lovely atmosphere. I think it's um, what I feel is every single member
1: of the team is core. Yes. Right? So none of us could do anything without the other. And what I love, um, Karen is one of the people in catering there. And she would be like... um, She would tell us if somebody wasn't eating or... You know, everybody feeds in... um, and um, knows how to say, look, I don't think they're the same, same today. I think they're a bit down, or um, so you know everyone's valued, mm. um, and I think that's the most important thing about a team that you can't work without every single bit of us. Yeah, and that's, I do think that's recognised over
0: there. It is, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I suppose people might wrongly assume it's it's sort of a dep- depressing place because you know and thinking because there is a lot of sort of death happening all the time but imagine it's it's not really like that the day-to-day it's just the day-to-day life you're you're I've heard you talk about staying in the now and as you said making it the just the, the very making the very most of whatever time somebody has um and there's I know there's places where families can make tea and coffee or they might be able to go and sit in a garden or it's um I think, I think um,
1: I suppose my, what if you were asking me, what what has palliative medicine done for me? It has made me realise that we have to live today and um, enjoy today and that we should go to bed, all of us at night, feeling there was something good about today. Um, and I would even with my boys when they were growing up, I would have said, what was the best thing about today? Because I think that changes your, your mindset. Um, And I've also noticed in palliative medicine between working here in Belfast and and London, where we've looked after people um, who are dying or who have been given a life-limiting illness and might have months or a year or two to live. Um, And, you know, in the meantime, uh, uh, another family member can die acutely. Mm -hmm. Um, So I suppose my feeling is that we should live today and plan for today, plan it tomorrow, but actually you can't worry about tomorrow until tomorrow comes. You don't know what it is and you'll have to find a way of solving the problem then. Um, And I would very much focus on doing things one step at a time. Now, I do plan my holidays ahead (laughs) and I do all that, but you still can only... You can't waste today worrying about tomorrow.
2: Yeah, I love that attitude because I do think we have a tendency to live in the future, whereas living in the now is so important but it's hard to do it it is, it is. it's hard it to is. do it, it sometimes is. I think yeah well it's just life it can be a bit monotonous so anything to think of something good in the future but but, but you could enjoy planning the holiday yeah so I would book my holiday I'd be sitting down we'd be
1: sharing what are we doing but that's enjoying the now But planning the future yes that yeah that would be
2: yeah
1: um
0: so, do you How think I that has, you know, given you, you know, maybe at times in your own life when difficult things have happened, that, that it's kind of it has given you that different perspective and perhaps extra strength to cope with things personally because of what you're seeing day to day. I do.
1: I think it. Um, I think I, I would look and see that I have had a very lucky, very fortunate life, um, and um, I've been totally inspired by the people I've looked after, and I think we have been very privileged. And all different people would have left a mark on all of us. Mm. Um, so I think it has it has affected.
2: Yeah. yeah. Do you think people change in the personality when they know they're terminally ill? You know, as in, do they get? I suppose it, it it's so broad, but people must change a bit if they're terminally ill. Do they kind of? Do they ever express? situations too or do they I, I think some people you could see
1: some people maybe get angry or frustrated um about things that have that they wasted time on or what they might now think they wasted time on. And there's a very good book and it's um the top five regrets of the dying. Um and I would probably when I would people I've looked after I would have had those mentioned at different times. And what would the most common ones be? One of the ones is um, why was I afraid to be who I wanted to be and instead I was what people expected Mm -hmm. of me. So people were afraid to pursue their dreams. Um, Another one that people would say is I didn't do something because I was worried about what people would think. So I always tell my boys, you know, uh, really, the only time I believe that you haven't succeeded in something is when you fail to try. Mm -hmm. So don't not try something because of what the neighbours will, will say. Yeah. Um, the people would say um, they, why did I work so hard? Um, a lot of people would feel why didn't I have more time for family or friends? Mm-hmm. Um, and other the other one is why didn't I just enjoy the now? Yeah. So I think that's, they yeah. would be what people would say, why didn't I just rest and enjoy the now? I've missed mm-hmm. my children growing up or
2: yeah, you um, speak a lot about your boys. How old are they now?
1: My God. I have um, 25, 24, um, 21 and 19.
2: Is it four boys? Yeah, four
1: Patricia. boys, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So.
0: You're definitely a seven. <laughs> Four, four so, boys, yeah. wow.
1: Oh. And they keep you grounded. So I know about spurs. I know about football.
2: Yeah. I know about horse racing. Oh, boys. <laughs> I, like, I have two boys. I do. I, boys are great fun. And they usually do love their mums. They do. And they, <laughs> they'd protect you if anybody stood up yeah, and said anything they bad. They would.
0: Yeah. I suppose talking earlier about, you know, someone who um, is terminally ill and thinking about them having knowledge and having a bit of a choice in, in, in how they spend sort of the the end of their lives. There has been a lot more talk generally in the country around assisted dying, and there is a, the Orators Committee, I, hope, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but they're, they've been in place this year and there's a lot of discussions around whether we should legislate for this to go ahead in this country. And I suppose we've talked in, about this, you know, legislated for di- divorce and contraception, abortion. There's a lot of big subjects that have come up and I suppose dying and the, the right to die, obviously, if if, the, if you're in the circumstances where you are experiencing unnecessary suffering, you know, whether that should be the last right that is really available to people and I'd just be interested in what your thoughts are on this it is a very emotive and sensitive issue um but it is it's very topical at the moment so it, it would is be good to get your thoughts on
1: I, I, I suppose in my career um and I'm over 30 years in palliative medicine but in that I could probably remember um on maybe one or two hands the amount of people who actually despite best symptom control would have chosen the um, time to actually to die. Most people, I would have heard different people at different stages say, um, you know, I'd, that they'd like the right for it, or they'd like to be dead because pain or nausea or suffering is horrific. But when all that has been treated, I would say probably five people would stick out in my head that actually still would have. Um, if they had a choice, they would have um, ended their own lives at that time. Um, and I suppose based, I've looked after it, an awful lot of people between the different places.
0: Maybe hundreds, hundreds, oh,
1: thousands and, thousands, and thousands. thousands. Yeah. I mean, if we turn around, even when I, I was the East End of London and been involved there, the hospice there was a hundred bedded hospice. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, thousands. So I would feel the legislation would want to be very careful about it because um, there's a lot of risks with it. know, Maybe my personal belief, and my professional belief are too different. But um, my concern is that something would be brought in without actually having resourced good palliative care. Mm-hmm. Um, and without having, you know, um, a lot of care at the moment is that you need extra home health care or an extra care in the community, you know, um, and um, a lot of people are worried that there'll be a burden on their families. Um, so um, I'm I'm concerned unless it's done, any whatever is done, that it needs to be done properly. But it needs to be properly. Um, the health service needs to be properly staffed and resourced and the social care service. My other feeling about it, um, I don't think um, it would be the palliative care physicians that should be doing it, because I think it would be a conflict Mm. of interest. And I don't think for patients, um, they already get upset when they're coming to us. They're already um, worried about... um, end of life mm-hmm. and I think um, I don't think it would help the trust in the relationship I think we should um, I would view my role as making sure people have the best quality of living and when they're dying to make sure that they die as comfortable as possible but with dignity and that we're respecting them so I don't feel the palliative care physician is the person with the other Yeah, and I am nervous about um, the legislation, if it's if if we don't have the right
0: support in the background. Yeah, no, that's interesting because I, I suppose if we look at examples from other countries where it's been in place for some time, like the Netherlands, you know, as time's gone on, it, it people are concerned the laws have got. See, it seems to have got more relaxed, and there's more people that can can avail of it. You know, whether it's someone with a disability or even children, you know, and there's concern about the safeguarding and the. Yeah. Uh, the People not, could be vulnerable and be yeah. forced into choices. But I suppose, again, it's it's um, many would think that, 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 that the choice could still be there. It's all about choice, I suppose. It's just um,
2: certain illnesses, they're so cruel, like throat cancer and Alzheimer's and obviously motor neurons. They're, they're horrendous diseases, it just seems, if, if you had a choice. But then, like you say, you have had thousands of patients and... Only a certain, very little would have chosen that, yeah. And I can remember um, when I worked in Belfast, there was, um, a, um,
1: it was a study that was done and it was actually this particular person um, had been involved in a road traffic accident and they had always said that if I was paralysed, I would prefer it to be dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was done on a documentary, so it's not that he was a patient of mine that I'm revealing anything yeah, about, yeah. yeah, but it was um, basically he was left that he was able to communicate by his eyes. Okay, and he wanted to live. So, um, and when I would have done my research, my research would have been on quality of life. And what I would believe is a good quality of life today, and maybe what I believe is a good quality of life when I'm sick, you know, changes. Because, um, and so what your wishes could be as you are now mightn't be what your wishes are when you have an illness. So, um, you need to make sure that you know how the person feels at the time, not what they would have thought previously. Yeah. so it's a dynamic process what you view as a quality of life if you think of it when I was doing the leave and the whole thing the quality of life was get the leave and over and pass the exam when I was finished the leave and the quality of life was probably to make sure I had nice clothes to go to the disco But so it, you know, it's dynamic it changes and, yes, I, yes, and I think yeah. that's the same with when you're healthy and when you're unwell so your judgement on what you'd like when you're unwell and um, when you say it when you're healthy might not be valid
0: that's a very good point, and I think that's where it's difficult because you might sign something now, as you said, and you know you've got you need yeah. that right to change change your mind. As you said, you can get a very different perspective. Yeah, yeah.
2: I suppose that mm-hmm. goes for the majority of illnesses, but say something like Alzheimer's when your mind goes.
1: I, I think you should have a right. I think people, I think a lot of times in Ireland originally we'd say oh, they're a little bit confused and that's part mm-hmm. of old age where we know it, it's an illness and I think when you have capacity you should be told about it and I think you should be able to have advanced care plans on when you know your swallow goes or when your mobility goes on what is the maximum treatment you'd like. Mm-hmm. So I really do think there should be an engagement in that. Um, and I know even um, in my own family, I you know, one of my uncles had warned me that if I ever gave him a, um, supplements or any of that crack, he'd, kill me. <laughs> <laughs> he'd come back and haunt me. So I, I do think that people, you know, you need to have a... When somebody has a diagnosis of an illness, I think we need to be honest with them. And um, especially with Alzheimer's, when you know they're going to lose maybe capacity down the road, that you need to know what... What would they want done or what would they not want
0: done?
1: Yeah. Um, and, and have that discussion as an advanced care plan. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I suppose this leads on to, I mean, you know, it's, it's fantastic we've had all these medical advancements, but sometimes they can prolong life, perhaps for, for too long in some circumstances. But I suppose we we're obviously talk that life is precious, but do, we don't think, maybe we don't get so much experience of, of the time to let go. You Know when, and actually, that's what, what somebody might want.
1: I think maybe medically, in sometimes people are there's cultural will affect medical decisions, and um, they might be afraid of being sued, might affect medical decisions. Um, it might be as well that we haven't engaged with the patient and the family at an early enough stage that they realize actually recurrent aspiration pneumonias that happens with, say, if I take Alzheimer's. Um, when the swallow goes that this will happen and the cause is there. And, um, you know, is it is it right to keep sending somebody into hospital for antibiotics when you actually can't make them better? You They're going to be back in in a week's time because of it. But should we have had the discussion with the person earlier on to know how much they would want that intervention, explain the benefits of it, and maybe as doctors we have to look to see are we prolonging the dying or are we enhancing the living? Um, And we have to advocate for our patients and we need to make sure that they understand and the family understand. So I think it's communication. And just because you can put somebody on a life support machine doesn't mean that you'll make them better.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah, I've heard it just for, for today, listening to uh, a good friend of mine recently, and she said that her, her father is in a nursing home. He's 91, and he, he's waiting to die. And the hardest thing, I'd say, is to die sometimes. It is. Yeah. And so he should, I
1: would feel he... he um, I know, my mum won't mind this, but I know with my mother she has very much told me what I'm to do and what I'm not to do, right? Mm -hmm. And that um, she wouldn't want hospital for the sake of hospital unless it's going to give her back quality of living. Yeah. And I think that's what we need to
2: Yeah, as you say, communication and talking about, yeah, what you'd like in the future. I, I don't think if I was
1: very unwell in a nursing home, frail um didn't you know not able to eat having whether i'd want to be put in on a trolley inside an ed yeah you know, I kind know. of make yeah. me better yeah um, have you spoken to your own sons i have been well warned <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know that if i wasn't able to make a decision and i don't want that you just give me antibiotics for the sake of antibiotics unless it's actually that i'm coming back and having quality
2: yeah yeah what?
1: But quality is a personal thing, so mm-hmm. we can't judge it, we need to engage it with the person.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's another thing, it's, ev- it's every case by case isn't yeah. it, everyone's an individual and I'm sure every one of your patients have all had slightly different needs or wants or
1: feelings. or. Yeah. And I would feel as a healthcare professional I need to explain with them if something is wrong and go through with them and tell them what I can make better and what I can't make better. Um, and that we, you know, know what they would like me to do within that um, and work towards it. But I do need to make the medical Mm. decision because I shouldn't be putting the people I'm caring for through something if I don't believe, if there's no evidence to support that it will help them to be more comfortable or better. Mm. And I think we need to make that medical decision.
0: Obviously, apart from the the, med, the medical side of things, which is very important, the pain relief, but what, what are the, have you found are some of the most important things that, the, that, that that is important to patients at the very, the very end of their lives? I mean, I know Sarah described when you were um, working with her dad and that you would sit close to him, you would look in his eyes, that, you know, I'm sure it's important for patients to feel seen
1: I feel, yeah, I think if it was me, I'd want to make sure that I wasn't just a number, that you knew something about me. Mm. Um, I'd want to know that you wanted to hear how I felt. Um, I Also, if I was sick and I was a captain for all in the bed, I might want you to ask me the whole time, how do you feel, you know? I might want to talk about all those things as well. Like the weather. Yeah, <laughs> well, I think treating, you know, when somebody has... I can remember one person saying to me one time, you know, I don't really want anyone to know, or my family to know, because they're going to treat me differently. So I think you want to be treated as normal as part of the world. But you do want, if you're there and willing to talk, that you have the space and that people will listen to you and understand. Um, And I think it's important as well that if you, you know, that we we can't make it right.
0: Mm.
1: That doesn't mean that we don't help by listening and being. Um, and that's where I would, would come from. Mm-hmm. But I think I'd want to be treated as normal
2: as I mm-hmm. possibly could be. Yeah. Yeah. To go with it.
0: Is it hard when patients might ask what it's going to be like to die? No, because if they're asking that question,
1: there is an acceptance there. Mm. They're aware they're dying. So if, you've, if that, like you're, you discuss it and you'd, you'd wonder what's your fears? What are you worried about? And that's then how you'd go through with them, and you'd reassure or explain or tell them what you would do, um, and are they happy with it? So you're having a partnership and engage, engagement mm-hmm. with that. Um, maybe the harder is when people um, is when you're getting the person to know that that um, the time is short,
2: because mm-hmm.
1: you never like to hurt anybody, and telling people time is short can be.
2: Yes. A tough thing to say, yeah. 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 But actually, often people know it. They know how they feel themselves. Yeah. It must be great when people... I do know when my dad passed away, he, he said to us that he'd had a wonderful life. He was lucky. But I, I did think in part of care, like, it is so sad to see the books of... There's younger people. It's it, It's cruel, really, to think that there's younger people there you know it must be it must be a tough gig at times Patricia is it like I mean that's why I think it's so
1: important to be part of the team yeah and to yeah. have that and you have yeah. to look at the support um, yeah. your aim is to give the person and their family the best quality of living and if they're dying to make sure they have dignity and they're at peace and I think um, that that's what we're working but to help people live first
0: yeah yeah with it. I think uh, uh, many families who have come into contact with you will say that you were put on this earth for a purpose. Do you you feel this has been your purpose? God, I think that's too big a thing. (laughs) 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 No, I think... um, I think we all
1: find something in life that we can do. Mm. Um, And that then... um, I, I mean, I tried different branches of medicine. I told you I I might do GP because I was going to be first a cardiologist and then I was going to be the race course doctor. And I went into this because of... That sounds and
2: quite I, exciting, actually, the race course. Oh,
1: I, I mean, I went off and did sports medicine courses and yeah. everything because in my head. Um, and um, I worked in St. Saint, in Saint Luke's in Dublin as well. So that sort of... Um, um put the palliative of medicine. That's why I went to England and said, look, I have to get this this out of my um, system, really, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I've always found that I've worked with a fantastic team and we've been able to make a difference and make a change. Um, and there's other branches of medicine I would not be good at. You know, that you could really definitely... They, they didn't do it for me, mm-hmm. and I know then I wasn't able to do it for the people I was caring mm-hmm. for, so... Well, I, I'm,
0: I know we're all very grateful that you found your way into this. And just to finish, I suppose just if there's anyone listening, maybe that does have uh, have a loved one that is 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 very ill, and they might be in this situation, is there any bit of advice that you might have for them? Um, I I suppose even from
1: it has affected all of us ourselves. So how you you know from um, me. Um, is to be very much aware that the person who's sick knows how sick they are, mm. knows how they feel. There'll be times they want to talk about it and times they won't want to talk about it. Um, to be there for them, give them permission to talk when they do, um, but enable them to do whatever they want to do for themselves. And... Themselves. Um, not feel that you have to make it right because you know you might not be able to make it right but for them to know that you're there and that you listen and that you care that's probably
2: what's important
0: um, i think say no more that's, that's yeah fantastic advice um, perhaps one one last thing to finish any any horse racing tips <laughs> no. Were you any good at horse, horse
1: riding? My dream, if I could have been a jockey, Sarah, really? I would have loved it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I another life,
2: maybe. Yeah, I
0: know. Well, same, thanks another so practice. much. It really is yeah. a pleasure. pleasure.